The hour is dark. Enemies abound. And more than ever, the need is for faithful discipleship. In this episode, I interview Pastor Jerry Doris on leading and discipling men in the church. Join us as we build, fight, protect, and lead. This is The Patriarchy. Rise up for men of God Have done with lesser Rise up for men of God Have done with lesser things Give heart and mind Soul and strength And serve the King of Kings Lift high the cross of Christ Tread where he is as brothers of the Son of Man, rise up, O men of God. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That was 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. And you are listening to the Patriarchy Podcast on Roundtable Media, a ministry of Sovereign King Church. I am Joseph Spurgeon, pastor of Sovereign King Church. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day, and he claims that he accidentally glued himself to his autobiography. I didn't believe him. But that's his story, and he's sticking to it. I did tell him, cheer up, man, it could be worse. You could be stuck underground in a hole full of water. He knows uh, I mean well. Speaking of meaning well, we have all had moments in our life where we did or said something really meaning, meaning well, but it was so stupid that looking back on it, we can't believe how we allowed ourselves to do something that idiotic. Well, Catherine Miller, a cashier at Fashion Bug in Pennsylvania, had one of those moments back in 2004. Another resident of a nearby town named Deborah Twatwine came into the clothing store, came up to the counter with with a bunch of items costing around $99. She handed Catherine a $200 bill, which she accepted and gave her $101 in change. Mrs. Trotwine then left the store. Now, only when the manager started counting the register did something not seem right about the $200 bill. Now, it might be the fact that the picture... Uh, on it was of then-President George Bush. And on the other side, the White House uh, had an oil well, and it had some signs out front of it saying, we like broccoli, and USA deserves a tax cut. Or it could be the fact that there is actually no such thing as a $200 bill. Miller, however, shouldn't feel too bad because the same thing happened in Danville, Kentucky, where a person ordered $2 worth of food at Dairy Queen and received $198 in change using that same worthless money. Now, as you know, real U.S. currency has many features designed into it to make it hard to counterfeit. The U.S. Mint uses collar shifting ink with metallic flakes that make the collar of the printing shift from black to green, depending on the angle it's held at. They include a security thread woven into the bill a watermark embedded in the paper and micropinning of words in very tiny font. It's indistinguishable to the human eye without magnification. Now, of course, this doesn't keep counterfeiters from trying, and some have been really good at it, and others don't need to be all that good. They just need gullible cashiers like Catherine Miller. 
Now, it's not just money that's counterfeited. Companies spend lots and lots of money creating what is called brand identity. They create a logo, a design for their product. They get it copyrighted or trademarked. And that way it's easily identifiable and it can distinguish their product from competitors. We all know of these. You kind of think of, uh, of the Nike Swish, right? McDonald's Golden Arches. Or the, 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 you know, the red can and the cursive collar of Coke. And no matter what country you are in, these things are recognizable. Companies uh, also hire a team of lawyers to go after those who might use their brand identity in ways they do not like. And so we're familiar with that. But I've been to the Philippines, and I see how even things like these get counterfeited. Sometimes you can tell right away that the Nike shoes, the man on the streets trying to sell you, is more Nike than Nike, right? The Oakleys or Folkleys and the, the Fabian sunglasses. They're clearly fake, which is why they're so cheap. And sometimes you buy them because they look pretty close, and hey, who doesn't want a nice pair of Ray-Bans? A lot of times, it's funny. You can see the knockoffs. Other times, you know it's downright dangerous. Whenever you walk outside in the Philippines to hell a cab, one of the things that happens is several people come up to you. They see a white guy there in the Philippines, and they want to sell you something. Not just fake sunglasses, but pharmaceuticals like Viagra or other prescription strength meds. And of course, this is where counterfeiting gets dangerous. There are no controls on the counterfeits to ensure you're actually getting what you think you are getting. These fake medicines can then be made with the wrong dose or no dose of medicine or with toxic or harmful ingredients. It's usually um, high-demand, expensive medications such as uh, chemotherapeutic drugs, antibiotics, vaccines, erectile dysfunction drugs, weight loss AIDS, steroids, antihistamines, antivirals, and anti-anxiety drugs. And these are all common counterfeit targets. And it's not even just a problem in the Philippines, but it's actually it's a problem in the United States. Many people each year purchase counterfeit drugs uh, through websites offering discounts. So if you're on the internet and you see a drug price and you're like, that's pretty good price that I don't know how they can get that cheap might be too cheap to be true too good to be true and the problem with all of this is it's dangerous right people uh, get sick people have even died from the counterfeits now I'm saying all this not to give you a lesson on counterfeiting but to point out the danger of counterfeits because our enemy is the king of counterfeits in fact that's all he can do Satan's not a creator God is the creator the devil can only take what God has created and try to mimic it. Yet the counterfeit is always a distortion. It's always harmful. And this is because the devil didn't come to give life. The devil is a thief and a murderer since the very beginning. He's a killer. All he does is to harm. The enemy likes to counterfeit many good things. He likes to counterfeit, for example, the unity of the church and its brotherhood. This is what the, the whole woke thing is about, like diversity, equity, and inclusivity. Um, DEI. In fact, this thing is everywhere. I, I've seen it, uh, you know, in large corporations. Uh, even a man at my church was telling me that his kids' soccer team was talking about diversity, equity, and inclusivity. 
And of course, what, what it's trying to do is take what the triune God has established for his people and come up with a cheap knockoff. You know, we read in the New Testament how God the Father chose a people for himself. God the Son died and rose again to redeem those people. And God the Spirit engrafted them into one body. There's oneness in the church. If you read in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, there's oneness in the church. And yet there is a variety of gifts, a diversity of gifts. There's uh, different types of people brought into the church. And the world, though, can't have that true unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace because it doesn't have the spirit, doesn't have God as father. And so it can only attempt to counterfeit it. And it's ugly because it becomes a covering for all kinds of evil. Ultimately, um, it's a bond of hate towards God and his created order. And actually, it's divisive rather than unifying. Now, it's not just the woke agenda that is a terrible counterfeit. The enemy also attempts to counterfeit the good, God-ordained institution of fatherhood and of masculinity and the brotherhood of the saints. This counterfeit, though, is very alluring because we're in a time where masculinity is despised, fatherhood has suffered from both the abuses of ungodly men and the assaults of feminism and those who would uh, hate it and and then you have many men longing for a brotherhood built through the tempering of fire and yet feeling alone and in despair. Richard Reeves published a book entitled Of Boys and Men, in which he examined the ways in which men are falling behind in post-industrial societies. Most American men, for example, earn less today than their counterparts in 1979 did. Men also earn 74 bachelor degrees for every 100 earned by women. And sadly, men are three times more likely to suffer deaths of despair, which are drug overdose, alcohol, and suicide. In addition, the age of first-time marrying has increased steadily over the years. But this isn't necessarily just because men are sleeping around more outside of marriage, what you may be tempted to think. Research published by the National General Social Survey in 2019 showed that 28% of American men under the age of 30 hadn't had sex in the past year. And they attributed it to an increase in screen time, job insecurity, and more people living with their parents. Now, of course, it is good that if they're not married, they're not having sex. But the point is that men are struggling with relationships. A 2022 Pew Research study found that among American men under the age of 30, 63% described themselves as single, more than double that of the women in the same age bracket. And so you have men who are seeing a struggle economically, relationally. Many of these men are fatherless and have struggled with basic life skills. And so what happens? Well, in steps the manosphere. In steps, pick up artists, influencers, and philosophers. You know, for example, at this point, almost everyone has heard of Andrew Tate. He's a British and American social media personality, businessman, former professional kickboxer, who's recently had some legal troubles in Romania, been accused of rape. He once appeared on a reality show in England called Big Brother, but his real claim to fame is through his training courses, where he purports to teach men how to accumulate wealth and bed women. He is an influencer. 
Initially, he had a platform. It was called Hustlers University. Now it's called The Real World. And you pay $49.99 monthly to receive training on e-commerce, AI, copywriting, freelancing, and investment strategies. The, the website says, quote, The Real World is a global community of like-minded individuals on a mission to become wealthy. In conjunction with this, he has another program for men called The War Room. And here's what the website says for this program. No great man in history became exceptional alone. 99.9% of modern-day men will never experience the power of brotherhood and community. They will never experience what it's like to have other ambitious, hardworking, diligent, and dutiful men at their side. To experience being surrounded by success stories. To be among the most energetic and lucky men in the world. Inside the war room, you will access knowledge that will spark your genius and compel you to work your hardest to keep up. There is no other place on earth with men of this caliber. Listen to these words. Brotherhood, power, success, men of caliber. And many men are buying this. Hustlers University had at one point over 100,000 subscribers. Men want to be successful, and they want to fit into a brotherhood. And that's what Tate is selling. Now, the left will cry about how this is toxic masculinity and patriarchy. Right? They will cry even against, and in particular, against some of the things that he says that are true. Though one leftist did make this astute observation. Former New Statesman columnist Louis Perry, author of The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, says, Describing Tate's shtick as patriarchal isn't quite right because he's not a patriarch. Yes, he has a bunch of kids, but he's barely involved in their lives, and he seems to shrug off adult responsibility at every opportunity. Perry says a better term would be fatriarchal, a preoccupation with the kind of macho behavior that adolescent boys find attractive, like in a fraternity. Now, James Bloodworth, in an article, described going to a boot camp similar to what Tate offers. It was a week-long course in L.A. costing $10,000, and it promises to teach men how to forge an elite social network that will lead to a life of material and sexual abundance. Now, Bloodsworth is writing for a progressive magazine. Okay, he's progressive, probably a feminist, but he seems somewhat even-handed in describing his time at the camp. And there are two observations he made that I thought were helpful. First, he says, quote, Despite paying for a course dedicated to meeting more women, few of the men I talked to in L.A. seem to enjoy their real-life company. What they want more than anything is to be admired by other men. This, in the end, is the true purpose of all this acquisition and abundance. Women are viewed as a resource on par with sports cars and infinity pools, something to show off and deploy to convey your alpha status to other men. In other words, these men are looking for brotherhood, respect. It's father hunger at its very core. The second thing that he observed was how so much of this was projection, a projection of success. He says, quote, In L.A., we were taught that if you aren't rich or famous, photo manipulation and extreme editing can make you seem so. He says, stored on my iPhone, I have a picture of myself leaning nonchalantly against a rented Audi Samoa Orange, 
gazing wistfully into the distance. I have a photo posed in a rented mansion and a heavily edited shot taken near the Hollywood sign. I am advised to post these on my Instagram grid alongside a pseudo-profound platitude. Quote, life will give you whatever experience is most helpful for the evolution of your consciousness. He says, I have no intention of doing so. Pretending to own a sports car doesn't strike me as particularly high status. <laughs> now, maybe the course instructors would say that you have to fake it till you make it, but this does highlight the counterfeit nature of online influencers. Now, again, this is not to say that Tate never says things that are true. There's a reason he has captured a large following. It's because he's saying some very basic things that many are afraid to say, and, and some are even helpful. Yet, ultimately, it's a counterfeit version of masculinity. While a godly man should work hard and needs to be competent, even financially, and he ought to even be able to capture a woman's heart, these things can't be the goal entire of themselves. Money, women, fame, power are fleeting. They're the type of the thing that if you pursue in and of themselves, they will not satisfy, cannot satisfy. And oftentimes you do not get them. But God designed manhood to have a greater purpose, which is to image him and glorify him. Now, this does look like taking dominion, but taking dominion in Christ's name. When God created man, he made him just a little lower than the angels and yet put him over all of creation. He was to rule as Christ's representative. And so the enemy comes along to counterfeit this godly dominion by offering Adam and Eve their own rule. They can be like God rather than under God. And the manosphere is offering this same counterfeit dominion and along with it a counterfeit brotherhood, a brotherhood built on money or chasing tell. Problem is, that's not real. It doesn't last. God's truth, though, is better. Now, sadly, another reason that men turn to influencers is that pastors have refused to speak God's word to all of life. Many churches have less to offer a man than these counterfeits do online because they have no brotherhood. They're ran by women. Or it's just weak and it's uh, effeminate. There's nothing of substance. But praise God, there are those who are being faithful. There are men who are in the trenches, fighting and leading other men in real battle. And so I don't just want to bash the counterfeit. I'd rather you see the real thing. And so what I've done is I've recently interviewed my good friend, Jerry Doris. He's the pastor of Reformation Church in Shelbyville. And now this man is the real deal. He's a pastor set on raising up godly patriarchs. He has men in his church who routinely engage the culture with the gospel. They're growing and leading their homes and in the community. One of the things that he, he's recently done is uh, he managed to rent the facility in the month of June that the Pride event usually rented. He rented it for the whole month so that they couldn't do the events. And he set them up with other uh, churches leading what he called Gospel Month. And so now uh, the the Pride people are scrambling and haven't found a way to be able to, to host their events. And they may not even be able to do that this year. This is kind of some of the work that he's doing. Now, in this interview, we talk about what the need of the hour is and his work in discipling men. So I think you're going to be encouraged. So listen in, and uh, uh, I'll see you on the other side. Hi, I'm Karen Rachel. I'm Rachel Karen. And I'm Chris. 
And together we are Hermeneutics. It's the brand new podcast just for women. Yeah, for gals like us who love theology. We will cover all kinds of topics related to theology, history, philosophy, ethics, and theology. From the unique perspective of women. Yeah, from gals like us who love theology. In each episode, we will work to apply the TNIV to the unique circumstances we women find ourselves in. We will talk about how Romans 13 applies to my calling as a woman in politics. Or how I apply the Titus 2 principles to my job in the military. Or how churches can involve more gals like me on the leadership council. Find out things you can do as a necessary ally to your servant leader husband to help him be a better servant leader. Oh, I just love my servant leader husband. You know, I like to make little lists for him when he gets home from work so he can know all the ways he can servant lead for me. It really helps him be busy leading. For those of us not trapped, I mean, uh, not blessed in marriage, you can learn about all of the joys of building a career as a conference speaker. Remember, heterosexuality isn't godliness. On Hermeneutics, we will help you break out of the wicked hold of the pagan Victorian patriarchy and into the mold of righteous Victorian feminism. You know, like the first wave of feminism led by great godly women like Unitarian Susan B. Anthony, twice-divorced Carrie A. Nation, and Margaret Sanger before she was evil. All gals like us who love theology. So join us as we study the Word of God, asking the age-old question, Hath God really said... And help us put the her back in hermeneutics. All right, welcome back to the Patriarchy Podcast. I'm here with Pastor Jerry Doris of the Reformation Church of Shelbyville. And he just smirked because it's not the Reformation Church of Shelbyville. It is Reformation Church of Shelbyville. Uh, Pastor Jerry was a missionary for how many years in Turkey? Uh, six years. Six years in Turkey. He's been uh, married for 32 years. He has two boys who are married. And he's here today to announce that he is becoming Pado baptist yeah. <laughs> uh, The more I know you, uh, Joseph, the more convinced I am of uh, 1689 federalism and uh, in the Baptist tradition. I'm going to convince you one day, brother. But uh, Pastor Jerry's a dear friend. We have done work together at uh, the abortion clinic, street preaching, and we're getting ready to go to Israel together. And I'm looking yep. forward to that. Why, why don't you tell us what we're going to be doing there? Uh, so we're, we're going to be leaving here uh, June 2nd. We'll be flying over to Tel Aviv, Israel. That will we'll be our base of operation. Uh, our primary objective is to preach at the Tel Aviv Pride which is the largest uh, pride event in all of Asia. Uh, the, um, the Israeli government spends $3 million a year to advertise this particular event. So all my dispensational friends out there who thought Israel was good and righteous, they are not. Um, they're quite pagan. But, uh, so we're going to be going, we'll be preaching the gospel there. Uh, and then all over Israel is, our, uh, is, is part of our objectives. And uh, you're taking how many men with you from your church that are going? Uh, two other pastors are coming from Rough Church. So Pastor Austin Keeler and Pastor uh, Tanner Cartwright are going to be coming with. And uh, we're going to be meeting up, I think, with what, like 10 
about 10 men all together? Yeah. In fact, I think we just had a new person added uh, last night who was able to come. I think our total number now is uh, 17 or 18 people. Um, there's a, uh, one of the, two of the brothers are bringing a couple of their, uh, their, their children that are older that are going to be able to handle that. Uh, so we're looking, you know, we'll, we'll have that. That's how big the group will be. All right. Well, well, speaking of having uh, groups of men and, and engaged, one of the reasons we have you on the podcast is because as the work I've done with you in the street preaching and, and this, you always have a good group of men that are out engaging in the culture, that are preaching, that are uh, doing, handing out tracts and discipling. And you also have some older men that are, I think, what, go outside the courthouse and yeah. uh, you also have somebody outside of like Kroger's. Is that right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, this last, uh, what was it, um, Thunder Over Louisville, I think we had uh, 16 men that were there uh, that kind of came together from different uh, parts, but mainly they were from, on our side, I know you guys on your side, so people that don't understand, uh, Joseph's on the uh, on the Indiana side of Louisville, and I'm on the, on the, the Kentucky side. And so we, yeah, we had that. Thunder Over Louisville is like this huge uh, event. Uh, where, uh, what is it? we'd say like a million people are downtown and yeah, it's a large group. And yeah. I mean, we, we, we've gone every year. It's one of my favorite events that we get to do where we preach the gospel and, uh, hand out tracks and uh, have lots of good gospel conversations. Absolutely. We got, yeah, we got to see two, uh, two men open air preach for the very first time. And uh, that's always encouraging for us to, and we, we, you know, we, we've talked about this before, but maybe people, this kind of leads into what we're talking about. But uh, one of the things is we want to have elder qualified men open air preach. And by that, I don't mean they're elders, but I do mean that they have some level of just a, a quick um, assessment of their life that you would know that uh, they're, they're going to, they're, they're on, they're on that trajectory of being uh, qualified as an elder at some point. There's nothing that you'd be concerned about for them. So I had two men that open air preach for the first time at Thunder this year, which was really good. Yeah. Uh, again, that's one of the things that I've been encouraged about with your ministry and with your church is just seeing men get engaged in this. And you're, you're, you do a thing, what, once a week? Will you call it the, the Hall of Fire? Yeah, uh, so I have multiple sessions a week. So on uh, Sunday nights, we have uh, our college age group, and that's mainly men. But we do have uh, single ladies that that come as well uh, to that. And I call that the war college. And uh, so we meet, we just discuss theology and just kind of hash out stuff, any questions they might have. And then usually on Monday or Tuesday night, I have what I call a sermon session. And that's where I invite uh, men in the church to come and we'll break down uh, sermons that we're going to be preaching in the future, and then we'll give uh, critique for the the prior day or day however many days ago the sermon that was there. Uh, that's where we'll give feedback on open air preaching that we may have heard. And this is just real gut level honest. You know, we we need to get to the gospel quicker, or you know, you missed this. Your introduction was was laborious. Whatever those kind of things are, we we're gonna nail those. And and so you've got that going on, and then let's talk about one more event, and then we'll kind of get into the the details. You've got the the war room. Tell us, I've been there, and I've seen lots of men engaged with that. So what's that? 
Yeah, so we've uh, a number of, several years ago we decided to uh, put on something called a war room, which basically all it is is we want to get the men together in area churches. I think the highest we've had is 55 churches represented in an evening. And uh, we'll have a couple sessions. We'll bring in a speaker that is going to speak to a relevant topic to equip uh, men uh, about issues. So that can be like biblical masculinity. We've done it on uh, critical theory. We've done it on uh, abortion, uh, just a, a number of topics like that. And uh, we try to give them a book. We're going to eat a meal together, usually brisket or steak or something like that. So it's just a good time for men to get together, have fellowship, know that they're not alone. And, um, yeah, we've we've really enjoyed that that process. So one of the things that we've been, we're, we're talking about here then is you're really engaged in discipling men. And so why is that important, first of all? Maybe we just start with that. Why is that important? Why, why are you doing that? Well, a couple of reasons. One, I think the biblical mandate is for male leadership, and and uh, that's kind of why we're on the Patriarchy podcast, right? We believe in male leadership. We believe that that's where uh, it needs to uh, needs to to grow, needs to be developed. Uh, so, from a convictional standpoint, we are about men. I am about just seeing men uh, grow and develop, and just from a practical level, where men lead well, women. Uh, fe- uh, you know, biblical femininity just rises, and, and it's it's so much better, and it's a richer environment. So it's probably the greatest service that we do for the ladies of our church is to invest in men, because when we invest in men, they're they're not just open air preaching; they're leading well at home. They're having having family worship. They're making decisions. They're communicating well the vision of the home. Uh, they're disciplining their children well. They're invested in the life of their children in terms of uh, their education and, and how, that, you know, when we think about our current culture, there's so much checkout that men are allowed to do. Uh, and so we've just been fighting that for for years. And, uh, and the fruit of that is evident in our church. We have elders that are elders in our church uh, that have developed underneath this this system i guess it were it's not really a system i couldn't write a book or tell you this is how we do it or anything like that but well, it's, that's my next question how do, how do you do it? <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well how uh so how long have you been doing this work because you said you got people coming up under the system and it's like 2014 is when I uh, became the pastor of then harvest community church and we did that for about two or three years. It was a, it was a, if if you think in terms of church planting, this was a shrub and it, it was just kind of stagnant and uh, great people love them. And, uh, and just after a couple of years, I looked at my fellow elder and then the, what we called the leadership team, just other, other men that we were leading. And we were just small church. Uh, we said, you know, we, we really need to do something different. Um, we were uh, Southern Baptist. Uh, we held to the um, Baptist faith and message, uh, which anybody who knows is a very thin uh, doctrinal statement. And um, But we were Calvinistic, and because of that, uh, people would come to the church, they'd stay for a, a little bit, and then they find out we believe in sovereign election, and then bam, they're gone after three months, you know, of investing, you know, time in them. 
And uh, so we kind of we got just tired of that that slow churn, and so decided to say, "Hey, look, let's replant, let's change our location, let's uh, let's adopt the confession we want to adopt as Baptists." And so we we did that. We changed our location, changed our name to Reformation Church, uh, and we adopted the 1689. And uh, about that time, uh, some new men started coming. Tanner, who's a pastor, Hunter, who's a pastor now, they started coming. And uh, just over the course of, of five years here, we have just grown. Uh, the Lord has blessed us tremendously. And uh, that, was, uh, that, that was the start of that, I guess it was. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like part of what the, the change was, what really helped you get started in this was just becoming more convictional in your, in your standards instead of, there's kind of, you know, the, the seeker sensitive model. I'm not saying that's what you were doing, but the, the kind of model that you have to be broad and just very light and you can't be very convictional so that you can get lots of people in. And it seems to me like yeah. you're finding actually, no, it's the opposite. If you want to get men in, you've got to be, you got to be firm and say what you believe. Uh, 100%. So uh, I think the seeker sensitive model, which I, I, I wouldn't say we were that in any way. I mean, we were Calvinistic and just by being Calvinistic, you kind of shed a lot of that kind of stuff, but we still had that, uh, that feel, I guess, of, um, that, that was going on at the time. But the, I would say the firmer we have been on the issues of masculinity, the more blessed our fellowship has been. It is not just grown numerically, but it has grown, uh, uh, spiritually, the the men of our church are rising up to the occasion, and we uh, we see it. Uh, we're just blessed to have men that are leading well, not you know in the home and in that church. Now, when you say you're firm on the the issues of masculinity, so what what are the issues of masculinity that you're you're talking about? Uh, well, first off, is just male leadership. the The insistence upon male leadership, I think, is is uh, is primary. Um, uh, men being men, doing masculine things, uh, and by that I don't mean you know being girt or whatever, but wielding well the scriptures, understanding the scriptures, uh, an expectation that you are doctrinally growing, that you're growing in the Word itself. You're not. Uh, we have a culture of debate at Ref Church that we think is is good. I see a lot of churches that really reject the idea. It's a it's just an idea. Men need to be nice. And we kind of have the opposite opinion that men need to be blunt. We want plain spoken men who are able to, if they don't understand something, they feel comfortable. I don't get what you're saying. Uh, that doesn't sound right. This is what I think the scripture saying. So to have that culture. Uh, so we often, even as elders, will debate issues on social media with fellow elders. And uh, that, you know, that has fostered debate. And it's good. Over secondary issues, obviously not first tier issues or things of that nature. Yeah, um, I've found that like uh, even in, in, in the church that I, I pastor, that if we we don't want to divide over secondary issues, but part of the reason that people do divide over secondary issues, they're actually never really clear, healthy rules for debate. Uh, debate is kind of something that's like, let's don't do that. Like the, the, we're afraid of division, so we're afraid if we talk about things that will cause it. And actually, 
I found when you don't talk about it, you avoid it. <laughs> that actually causes the problems. Yeah. Transparency and, and where I'm at on a particular issue or, uh, and, and, or that, uh, you know, this guy, and, you know, we disagree about these kind of things and yet we're still in the same fellowship. We, we agree with each other on everything else. And so, so whatever those topics are, uh, we can disagree on those things and it's okay. So, yeah, so I would say, you know, male leadership, culture of debate has been pretty important. Uh, I, I think, um, just a, a masculine involvement in home and, uh, man, we live in a culture now where like, uh, women are, are the, even in homeschooling circles, women are the educators. And because of that, I mean, you go, you look at magazines, it's always about women, how they to do this, how they're to teach this, how do they, it's, it's all focused on that. And so to, uh, really set the standard that men are to be in charge of the spiritual and, and educational needs of their children. That's important. Yeah. Family worship. Yeah. Um, those kind of things. Yeah. You'll, you'll see a lot of uh, uh, sometimes what, effeminate boys that come up in homeschool because they've been around women and the men have kind of just handed it off. I know that one of the arguments against, send your kids to other schools is you don't want to outsource your education, but I've seen, I've seen it where men, okay, I'm not outsourcing my education to, to the state, but I'm outsourcing it all to my wife. And so, yeah, yeah. It, it's good to encourage men. You're the one responsible. We're, we see a lot of men in our fellowship take their boys specifically with them to work. And uh, that happens a lot. And uh, so, yeah, the, the, I would say the children are disciplined well because of that. You know, we've we've got after men who we feel are being harsh with their children, uh, and we've been encouraged men who we felt like needed to step in um, where there was a disconnect between how the mother and the father were parenting or disciplining. You know, those are pastoral things that we address. So what are some issues that uh, men are facing right now? And, and maybe along with that, what what are some of the issues you as a pastor face in, in discipling men? So that's kind of two different things. They may be overlapped there, but issues that men face right now, like you're seeing in our culture, and then issues you face discipling men. Maybe it's through those issues or elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think... Um... Men are obviously because of the sexualized culture that we're in. They are faced with just a, a barrage of, of um, a, a way to check out, entertain, uh, spend their energy. On uh, obviously, there's the the pornography issue, uh, but then then it's not just that. It's that entire big entertainment culture of uh, checking out. And so that's probably the biggest thing that we're addressing is we, men don't get to check out. You you should be tired at the end of the day. You should be you know engaged in your home and engaged in all these kind of things. Men don't have the luxury, shouldn't have the luxuries of just entertainment all the time if that that helps. Uh, so I, I would say that that culture of entertainment, dissipation, wantonness is how we might define that. Um, it's like fake fake yeah, battles is what I think of uh, a friend of mine, a pastor friend, Matt Trella, had a good sermon on fake battles. 
because like men yeah. are geared to fight. It's one of the things that's in our logo here, the slogan at the podcast, build fight. And we're geared to fight and we're going to fight. So we'll either fight to destroy things or we'll fight fake battles. Like I think video games and, you know, uh, can give this sense of battle and accomplishment and, and, I think men have been conditioned to think that they shouldn't have to face challenges, that it should be easy for them. And I think that's something, too, is that men need to know that there are battles to have and we need to we need to engage. We need to get, you know, dirt under our fingernails. We need to be sweaty. We need to actually work hard uh, to accomplish uh, things, whatever they are. Um, And so the problem when you have effeminate men who don't face battles, who don't do work, uh, when they do finally face, and they will, they'll have crises or something. How they respond to that is through sinful ways. Uh, they may run towards their pleasure. They may want run towards escapism to get away from those kind of things. Um, yeah, they may check out in their home. They may take out, you know, how how they how they feel about those things. If that makes sense. So, so those are the challenges I think men face. And I'm I'm assuming then those are challenges that you face discipling men, but maybe elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, we have two kinds of men, and I I look for – so I I don't have time to go after men. Um, I I don't take the time to go after men. If men are not willing to pursue me or or they're not pursuing um, whatever those things are, uh, I, I'm going to uh, probably not invest in them. They're going to get less of my time because I've got a lot of men that want my time. So I'll do some things, especially with the younger men. I might send them a book or something like that. And if they read it, uh, that shows me they're, they're after it. They're hitting it. Or I might invite them to uh, a certain event. Uh, and uh, if they come to those kind of things, then that kind of shows me they're engaged in that. Eventually, I stop. When I've asked somebody, hey, come on, we're going to go out preaching on Friday night at Kroger, and they don't show, or they have an excuse, and then they have another excuse, I'm going to stop asking. I'm not going to invest in that, in that person. Uh, but because we've got other men doing that and doing those kind of things, it does help other people want to be engaged in those kind of things. So when I open up, for example, my sermon sessions, I'll have men show up to that, and they they may not be even uh, scheduled. They're not going to preach, but they're listening to how their pastor finds a proposition, breaks down a passage, how he structures, uh, how he looks for a fallen condition focus, all of those kind of things. They're learning those kind of things as they go. And so... Uh... It kind of reminds me of Jesus. You know, Jesus did go out, he uh, found the one sheep, but he also kind of had a sense of like, you you follow me. I'm not, <laughs> it's, it's uh, I'm calling you, you come. And you see that with the way he discipled men. And I don't mean to make it all about me. It's not. I, I, I do these things. I've always done these kind of things that I recall, uh, but other men in our church are doing the exact same thing. And I'm encouraging more. I'm a, what I'm, who I'm especially encouraging, uh, even yester- yesterday I was doing this, uh, is our group of 45 to 55 eight range in our church for them to create spaces for that younger generation of people. So I, I'm doing the same thing with ladies as well. So 
I, I love it when I hear of the women of our church having young mothers over and doing things together. Uh, we can get pretty cloistered, and, and that's understandable. You like-minded people from ages and stuff, they're going to coalesce together, and there's going to form uh, little cliques, but I'm trying to fight that by being generationally um, you know, engaged. So our home is open, and I would say in a in a week's time, we are going to probably see, you know, in, in any given week, we will probably have close to 30 to 40 people in our house every week. <laughs> and that's not, there's, there's a women's fellowship that we have. When those happen, there's an, that, that'll bump up to probably 70 people in, that come through our home in a week. And uh, those are big meetings. You know, we, we have a lot of chairs in our house and a lot of spaces uh, to handle those kind of things. You know, as, as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times that we've had people come and visit and then join and, and tell me, like, I was the first pastor's house they've ever been in or the first yeah. pastor to be to their house. And while this this podcast is not specifically uh, just for pastors, we got plenty of pastors that listen. And, and one of the yeah. things I would encourage pastors is what you're saying is have people into your home, like... The com- you're you're supposed to command other people to teach other people to be hospitable. How can you do it if you're not being hospitable yourself? Well, it's one of the qualifications of an elder is to be hospitable, and and by that, I, Paul, I don't think is saying, uh, you know, to have somebody in your house once in a while, and you, we actually should have a heart of uh, in an open home where people are coming in and being engaged why we're why are why are these qualifications for an elder well we're to be an example to the flock they're to see how we uh, treat our children how we do these things how we handle the scripture how we rebuke how we uh, whatever those kind of things are well how are they going to see that if they're not in your home uh, watching you do those kind of things so i think uh, a pastor who gets into a model that it doesn't he doesn't have people in his home honestly he's disqualified <laughs> he needs to get out <laughs> well okay so speaking of qualifications no that's that's a good <laughs> thought yeah uh speaking of qualifications you said something was a while back but it's good to bring back is that you're looking for men to be elder qualified by that you didn't mean that they would necessarily be elders but that's part of your discipleship so uh question is uh, for our listeners, what would that look like? What a man that's listening to this and he's trying to figure things out. What do you mean by to be elder qualified, and, and where, where does he even start? Well, uh, the qualifications for an elder are you know, obviously in the two main passages there in uh, Timothy and over in Titus. There are two quali- two lists. That is the quintessential man. Uh, this is who. Uh, uh, the Lord has uh, inspired Paul to write to say, this is the kind of person I want to lead the church. And if this is the kind of person that should lead the church, why isn't that the kind of person that a mom should be wanting and praying for, for her husband to be, or her young men to grow to be, or likewise, fathers, why wouldn't you want to raise your children to act and, and think and be the kind of man that has been established in this. Now, that is not to say that every man is to be an elder in the church, but every man should be qualified to be an elder 
should the should the desire come upon him should the lord gift him in those certain ways he should have that that bedrock so what other example do we have of what a masculine man is what's the what is a biblical man well it's in those passages so uh the the, the young man where does he start um well i mean starting with uh personal uh his own personal disciplines uh, deny, it starts with the gospel. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. It's got to start there, um, where a person is is following the Lord Jesus Christ. They're pursuing him. They want to know him. Uh, and so what does that look like? Uh, that looks like putting away those pursuits that I might pursue that are contrary, one, to what he uh, would have me to do so they're righteous uh, I, I pursue righteousness and not unholiness so there's a death to sin pursuing him that way uh, there's a pursuing him in the in his word to know well if I'm to deny myself and follow after him what what does he what does he require of me so I'm going to look to him for those kind of things uh, when it talks about taking up the cross that's to bear the shame of being a Christian uh, to to be identified with Christ in his humiliation. Um, and so with that comes death to fear of men. I, wanna, I want to pursue uh, the, those kind of things, pursue the Lord. So that's where it starts, and that's where it's going to grow. That's the soil of which uh, the qualifications uh, of an elder. As God gives you responsibilities, he gives you a wife, then how do you treat your wife? You're going to go to the scriptures. You're going to follow how Christ has commanded us through uh, through the word to treat a wife. When I have children, how do I raise my children? Uh, where, What do I pursue in terms of a career? What do I pursue in terms of all those kind of things? It all flows from uh, from that same from that same source. Going back to what you said about uh, dif- different uh, things meant what men face, I guess, challenges. And I think on the, the younger they are, the more I think they're facing the issue of dissipation and just wasting time and being caught up in the entertainment culture. As responsibilities are added to a man, naturally he grows separate from those things. There's a necessary distinction where he's got to work. But where we are working with men is... Uh, how am I making money? Am I being prepared to have a wife and a family and a home? What am I doing to provi- provide? And so that that turns into education, career choices. So a lot of the young men are facing what, what do, where am I going to work? How do I work? Where am I going to live? Uh, where do I where do I invest my money? So all of that is just adding to things. And so men are at different levels and stages. And then, of course, you get men that come into your congregation and that they have not done any of that work, but they found a wife. They, were never, they weren't qualified to have a wife, but they have one now, and now they have children, and now they've got habits and things that they have been doing their whole life, and their wife is upset about you know, certain things, but they can't put their finger on it. And so you go into those homes and you start you know, just doing the work of, of identifying and, and killing sin. And, and uh, as, I, as I like to say, uh, affirming what is true from the scriptures and uh, and then just putting down and, and, and identifying those lies that we tend to believe as believers that this is what I should be doing, this is what I shouldn't be doing. 
it's basically you're just saying they, they got to live it, <laughs> right? You're 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 saying that it takes work, and um, you know this is a podcast. Is why I bring it up. This is a podcast for men, but a lot of men just consume podcast after podcast, consuming teaching on what it means means to be a man, and I, maybe you commented on it or somebody did. It's like there was somebody the other day that said. Uh, it's not very manly to constantly be talking about being manly or something. And I, I think he was wrongheaded, but there's a point to it, which is like, there's a lot of talk. And uh, part of being a man is just really getting to work. And one of the things to help you get to work, which is so important why, why you're on here, is that you're doing this in the context of the church. It's not just, a, a, you're not a, manosphere guy looking to get a name for yourself and get a following that way you're you're pointing people to christ and the standards of god's word so that's something i really appreciate um i, I was just reading this thing with my sons yesterday uh it's called Cre uh, no it's co not created for work that's one of the books but the other one is called boyhood and beyond got a chapter on the bible and the, and, and the guy says uh people have a hard time reading the Bible. They find it dull. And the reason people find it dull is because they don't live it. If they lived it, they wouldn't find it dull. And so, you know, it's better to read one verse and live it than to just be spending all your time thinking and debating and, and talking rather than living yeah. it. Yeah. Engagement is so critical. Uh, so uh, if I'm talking to a pastor, I'm going to say, hey, open your home, spend time. It's about time. You got to spend an awful lot of time in order for people to uh, be uh, to, to catch your vision, to understand your understanding of, of Scripture. The same thing with discipleship. You know, I, I think in terms of when we make a disciple, they're a disciple of Christ. They're following after the Lord. They're wanting him. Uh, but they should have other men that are also disciples of Christ and they're following their good examples. And so in a way, we are disciples of other men. We, you know, people pick up my mannerisms and how I engage in those kind of things. And that's good. Uh, you know, as I follow Christ, follow me. But if I'm not, don't. Uh, we want to have that attitude. Uh, but it's about engagement in time, um, and and it's all about engagement. You know, it's all about doing the work. It's all about uh, labor, and labor is good. Labor is righteous. Labor is what we should be. In. You know, shaping our home, shaping my my relationship with my family, with my children, uh, how I discipline, what I do at work, the skills that I have at work. All of that is important. And so another thing that we really feel is important, and Foster brings this out in his book, is the issue of fraternity. Men need fraternity. We need to be doing work and labor together with other men and on the same mission. And so that, we've kind of reached a critical mass where we have enough men that are doing this. So I can check out even, and I know it's happening. I know other pastors, and I know other men are engaged. And it's always encouraging to me uh, to hear that men have been getting together and doing things together. And I didn't even know about it. I wasn't, I wasn't a part of that. I don't have to be a part of everything that happens in our church. And that's good. Well, uh, we've talked about young men and some of their issues. Um, and you've talked about the fraternity and about, uh, in one sense, following after you as you follow after Christ. And, and they should have kind of lots of fathers. So what would you say then to older men in churches? Because 
a lot of times young men are in churches where the older men are not engaging with them. What do you say to the older men regarding that? So older men would be anybody older than a younger person. So that gets into, (laughs) that gets into your thirties and their forties and their fifties and sixties. And we have uh, some that are in their seventies and I don't, I don't think we have anybody that's in their eighties anymore. Uh, The Lord has taken them on. Um, But what I see in that, in, in all of these are men that are invested. So there's a certain point where you're invested in your children primarily because you've, you've got children. Uh, I'm of the age where I'm an empty nester now. And so the reason I have so many people in my home all the time is because I have guest rooms and I have, they're empty. My, my boys are married and they've got their own uh, families that they're, uh, that they're growing. Uh, so I'm in a stage of life where I can be way more hospitable than I would have been, you know, even uh, 10 years ago. And so those men that are uh, younger than me, uh, they're investing in their children and I'm investing in them to see that they're invested in their children. And I'm, ho- and I'm trying to work to see them, uh, uh, you know, coalesce around that idea of raising uh, godly children. And then for my age group, I'm, I'm encouraging those men to, because they've, they've made some money in their days, they have property, they have homes to open those kind of things up to other men and invest in them. And then that older generation yet, uh, I love that group. They are setting the example for a lot of us of how to finish well. And uh, like I, we have one brother who faithfully goes to the courthouse every uh, Tuesday morning and he leads other people to go there and he just is explaining the gospel. Uh, he's the brother that uh, uh, first, uh, so I had never and you know this, you know, when you start pastoring, there's things that you've de- never done. Well, one of them that I've never done, had never done, is go to hospice and visit with the sick or, or those kind of things. And this brother taught me how to do all that kind of stuff, took, took me with him to do those. So I had a good example. So along the way, just engagement and wherever you're at. Um, men need work, whether, whether you're 80 years old or if you're uh, five years old, you need something to do. Uh, men should never be idle, and nor should women, but I'm speaking specifically to men, and it's age-appropriate where it needs to be. Well, uh, I think we've kind of gone around a little bit. We've hit young men, older men. Anything else you'd like to to say to our listeners? Anything else before we uh, sign off here? Um. Not really, brother. I mean, I'm uh, I'm encouraged by your church. I'm encouraged by the men that I see. I one thing I know about you and have just been blessed by you is that uh, we were we were of a kindred spirit in terms of of engagement and cultural engagement uh, engagement in our churches to pastor well. Um, I I'm not looking to like you said uh, have a platform or do anything other than what I'm doing right here and and. Uh, uh, Brother Hopi said this here recently at their uh, Hope in the Home conference that we went to, and it's true of, of us. You know, even though we have 55 churches coming to our event, that's not to grow our church or not to, I'm not trying to platform anything like that. I want to see what we do happen in other churches and in other areas and where, uh, where 
where men are out there proclaiming the gospel. They're unashamed of, of uh, open-air preaching, handing out tracts, holding signs, doing evangelism, uh, engaged in their home, all those kind of things. I just want to see that all happen uh, around, uh, you know, around. If that's yeah, man. All right, brother. Well, we love you and appreciate you and uh, looking forward to that trip to Israel together. So thank you for being on the show. Yes, sir. That's going to be fun. Hope you enjoyed that interview. You know, it's not enough to bash the counterfeits. You need the real thing. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, it's good to know there's real brotherhood out there. I'm, I'm glad to hear about Pastor Jerry and the things going on in his church, but how do I find it? You know, or, or how do I do this? Uh, you know, you don't know where I live. It's hard to find. Well, you got to start by starting somewhere. Start with a good local church. And maybe you say, okay, there's none around. Well, you might need to move to find one. There are churches out there where men are leading. I mean, if you would move for work, if, if men would pay $10,000, for example, to join one of these alpha clubs for the week, uh, moving to join a church and be part of real brotherhood, it's not out of the question. But even if you move, you have work to do. You can't get anything if you don't put the work in. And actually, so it may be that you don't need to move at all. You might just need to stay in your church and start working to build brotherhood with the men in your church. Maybe you need to take the lead. Start working yourself. Find a few men that are willing. Go hand out tracts. Have them over. Grill out. Argue through a passage of scripture. Right? Take a couple men and and mentor them. Or find a man in your church. Maybe you, you okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not competent to do all that. Okay. Well, find a man in your church who is. Find your man in your church, for example, who successfully financially. Um, ask him if he would mentor you. A lot of older men would be willing, but think that no younger man would ever listen. Now, if you ask, you've got to be willing to listen. You've got to be humble. Maybe you might have to press for it to happen. Maybe you don't have that. You actually have to work. You have to start mentoring younger men yourself. But, listen, brotherhood takes work. It's born out of fire and fighting. And if God has called you out of darkness, he has born you to go through fire and to fight. It's all throughout scripture, right? First Peter, the fire, it preserves you. It makes you, uh, uh, it purifies you, reveals your faith. Ephesians chapter four says, be diligent to preserve the unity. Diligence, hard work, sweat equity, right? You can't quit. And even when you don't feel like it, right? Who cares how you feel? Just give yourself to doing that work, Right? Being a godly man is simply trusting Christ, being diligent to make your call and election sure. So you've got a duty to develop brotherhood. And the thing is, the internet really can't give you that. It can only counterfeit it. And so don't fall for the counterfeits. Give yourself to that work. Give yourself to loving someone else. Stop thinking about yourself. Really, that is the problem with the counterfeits. They are all thinking about themselves. It is love of self. It's like, so that's where the love of money, the love of chasing women. And ultimately, it does not lead to happiness. It doesn't lead to that. that it doesn't lead to joy. It doesn't. Jesus said, if you want to gain anything, you got to deny yourself, right? The man who, who seeks to hang on and cling to everything in this life loses it all. But the man who's willing to lose it gains it all. And you gain a brotherhood. You gain you gain the Father above when you give yourself in faith to Christ. And so do it. 
Now, if you like this episode, please subscribe. If you're on YouTube, click the bell. Give us a thumbs up. Share with your friends. Until next time, if you've not bowed the knee to Christ, repent and believe. And if you have, well, then this is our call as men. Build, fight, protect, lead. This is the Patriot.